All right. Well, uh, hi, everybody. I'm here with uh, Stephen, who has a tale. Uh, is it fair to say a tale of woe to tell? Well, uh, that's, I think, the open question. Well, let's start the tale, and I guess we can decide as we go. Sure. Yeah. There's certainly woes in it and certain anxieties in it. Um, I guess I, I put it this way. I would like to have a family, you know, more than anything. And I think that I've waited too long. And now I wonder if it's uh, just too late. So, you know, my health and fertility are good, but, um, you know, I'm over 50. I'm 53. And I wonder, you know, at my age, can I responsibly or any, you know, virtuously become a father? Um, you know, uh, I think of adoption and surrogates and oof, they just kind of make me queasy when I think about, you know, many of the topics that you bring up, brought up in your show. And not only that, but I'm dating a woman who's, you know, several years younger than me. Um, but well, well, how many? That's kind of a crucial point. Seven. Seven years younger than me. So she's told to have kids, right? That I think is true. Yeah. So we've had like, you know, tests and things. And whether it's, you know, specifically the age that is that is the causal factor, I think it probably is. But yeah, so she's too old to have kids. Um, and I'm not. Uh, at least not biologically. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, I could split up with her and try to find a, a younger woman with, you know, who would have uh, a higher fertility. But then the age gap sort of raises issues that um, that I that I question. So I feel like there's really no, you know, good answer. Um, I wish I could go back in time, you know, ten or fifteen years and sort of have a conversation with my present day me. And uh, and so that's why I'd like to have this conversation, you know, sort of to to serve as a bit of a warning, or maybe more than a bit of a warning to other men and other people in your audience. So right. they don't get into the sort of situation that I'm in now. What happened with your youth that left you in this position? Well, I think the short answer is that it flew by a lot, a lot quicker than I thought. Um, but there's more to it than that. I think, uh, when I was, you know, in my twenties, um, and even thirties, um, I really didn't feel like I was getting traction, um, social economically, you know, I had some okay jobs and things, but I never really felt that I was doing something that I really wanted to do and that, um, I could really make a solid living at. And I think that made me, uh, one, feel nervous about, you know, taking on responsibilities of, of having a family, but also I don't think I felt that attractive as as a mate. You know, like, well, I don't know if I would have wanted to, to date me, you know, sort of feeling like, oh, I don't really have a, a career that I'm satisfied with and that I'm really, you know, flourishing at. Although from the outside, it may have looked like I was, you know, really flourishing. But from the inside, I, I knew I wasn't really, you know, doing great work or, or solidly into my into my field. Okay, so, I mean, were so, you making enough money to theoretically support a family? Yeah, yeah, I was. And um, also, I think, I also started, you know, in my uh, 20s, sort of started traveling around. So I was born in the States, and I, I kind of wanted to see the world. So I wanted to work in different places and uh, get in contact with, you know, my roots, which were in Europe and worked in parts of Asia. And I presently live in Latin America, and I've been working here for about 20 years. And so I just kind of wanted to see the world that I was born into. 
um, I felt that my, you know, government education really was, was pathetic. And I just um, had this curiosity to see the world, but also this burning desire to understand the way things worked. And, um, and that took me, you know, it was, it was very interesting. And certainly it has made me like more aware of the way things, the way things work, but it also took me away from that sort of um, off the track. Let's sort of put it that way. Like if I had stayed in the same city and even the same country that I'd grown up in, I think um, I would have progressed faster in terms of career. I would have had that sort of security of family and friends, you know, nearby. And I think that that, you know, probably the next step would have been, you know, have kids, right? And start a family. It would sort of look that that's the natural course of things. But because I sort of left that track, um, I, I managed, I think, to, to get myself that education in a larger sense that I really wanted. Um, and now that I feel like I would be a great, great dad and a great partner, um, and uh, for, for many of the things that, that you discuss in your program, um, I feel like, oh, yeah, but I, I, it took me too long to, to, to do the circuit. I mean, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, Odysseus, when he traveled for, for you know, 20 years and they, he came back, they made him king. Except, well, I came back and I was sort of like too old. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm so glad that people who know the story of Odysseus are not having kids. That bodes very well for Western civilization. <laughs> Spoiler, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yes. Well, okay, so why do you think you became this wanderer? I've, I've thought about that quite a bit. Um, not, I, I don't think wanderer is quite the, quite the right word. Um, but I remember it as a child being, being very disturbed um, by images that I saw. So I grew up you know, during the Vietnam War. I was a child during the Vietnam War. And my father had these, you know, these books called Camera. They're fam famous um, photographic documentaries. And they had things of, you know, World War II and, and Korean War and, Viet and Vietnam War was on television at the time. And I was just horrified thinking, oh my God, how can people, you know, do this to each other? What, what kind of insane world have I, have I grown up into? Um, and that really disturbed me so, so deeply that I think I wanted to understand this world and see this, you know, world. So part of the time that I, that I worked was in Japan and it was, you know, cause I wanted to see these, you know, people that, uh, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years would have been, you know, sort of my designated mortal enemy. And I wanted to say, like, what, what, what is, is going on? Um, and involved with that was, was also getting into touch with uh, my roots because my, uh, sorry, getting in touch with who? My roots. So my grandparents okay, yeah. emigrated to the United States from Europe, you know, about 100 years ago. Um, and so there were still um, traces of, you know, the, the older culture back in, in you know, through my parents. And, and so I think there was a larger uh, just curiosity and, and wanting my life to be um, bigger and, and to know which way was north rather than just running like the way everybody was sort of telling me to run. Um, so there, there was a, there was a, a, a big sense of curiosity, wanting to understand what is this world that I was, you know, born into. Um, I'd say, you know, it, certainly it was also true that, uh, I felt that I had like, uh, a competitive advantage 
like working outside of the U.S. just because I'm a native speaker of English and I could leverage that in, in, in my work and it would give me a, you know, an advantage. And that coupled with my um, sort of feeling that I wasn't really, you know, in my field taking off solidly gave me, you know, uh, some, some leverage and helped me, I think, in my career, at least in the short term. And not in the long term, because leveraging a language is, I don't think, a good way to, to get ahead in a long term fashion. Right. And how was your dating life when you were younger? How much younger? Like 20s? Yeah. Um, it was good. I, I always, I mean, I, I had a, a series of fairly long term relationships, you know, at least several years each. Um, and I think they got progressively better as I, I, I think I made better choices uh, in women. And when I say better choices, I don't mean that these women were bad in any way. They weren't. It just they didn't have that much in common. Like my first girlfriend and I, she wasn't very bright. Um, and um, at least not in the same way that I enjoy. And, you know, it just wasn't a good match. Um, and... Uh, that that was like during high school, and then later on, I had a different girlfriend who um, was very bright, but not not at all physically active. And I've been very physically active, and so as you know, things got on, I had a number of relationships. I think they were they were good, but I don't. When I look back at them, I do say, why didn't I pick a, a um, somebody that I didn't feel the certain misgivings about that I felt back then? Well, the answer to that is quite simple. You didn't pick better women because you weren't looking for a permanent relationship. If somebody had said to you, the next woman you pick is the woman you're going to stay with for the, or the woman you have to stay with for the rest of your life, then you would have picked a better woman, right? You wouldn't have uh, gone yeah, for the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. And now that you say that, that's sort of interesting because I remember my dad, uh, my parents were married for, you know, 45 years or so and and, um, and they passed away. Otherwise, they probably would still be married. Um, but yeah, I remember sort of my dad sort of saying, yeah, you know, date a little bit before you get married. Sort of he, he seemed to have some, uh, I wouldn't say regrets about his choice of a wife, but maybe... Well, maybe some regrets, and I think I should. You know, maybe he did have some some not not severe regrets, but sort of like, oh, you know, maybe I ran in a little quick. Maybe he ran in a little bit. What does that mean? Yeah, ran in a little quick. So maybe he. Oh, maybe a little quick. He, okay, a little quick. Yeah, because okay. my, my my mom, I believe, was his first girlfriend, and as it was also the case for my mom, you know, he was uh, her first boyfriend. Right. And so sometimes they, you know, they had some rough years and they kind of thought, well, you know, maybe we could have chosen somebody a little more compatible. Right. Now, when your parents were alive, Stephen, did they talk to you about, like, get serious with your dating life if you want to have kids? I mean, did they give you that kind of feedback when they were no. alive? No, they really didn't. And now, why? It's always amazing to me. Why don't parents help their children settle down? I mean, it's weird. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you why. They, they felt that um, in their lives, people meddled sort of a lot and told them, you know, sort of pressured them to have kids or pressured them to do this, that, or the other thing. And, um, and they did not want to pressure us to, so I have siblings as well, they didn't want to pressure any of the kids to, um, to do something 
that they didn't you know want to do or or to feel rushed. Now I look back at it and I think, okay, well that's that's one thing, but it's different to talk about it, to talk about it factually and say, well, these are, this is, you know, this is biology. This is the way it works. You know, if you want to have a mate that is, you know, more or less your age, you kind of have to have kids, you know, in this time window. Otherwise, you know, if, otherwise you're going to put yourself in a bad situation where you're either not going to have kids, which if you want kids sucks, or you're going to have to pick a mate that you're going to have a big age difference between. And, you know, that's God's issues as well. Um, well, the other and, thing too, that I think parents need to talk about is something like this. That they can say to their young men, the the sons, they can say, look, I mean, it's fine for you to date around in your 20s, but you're really screwing things up for women. Right? Because women's hearts, they're like sticky tape. Like the more you stick stuff to it, the less sticky they become. So they'll lose their bonding capacity. But more importantly, the sort of peak female attractiveness is like a dozen years, like 18 to 30, right? Sure. So you take three years of that woman's life, you've just taken 25% of her peak years, whereas for a man, you could say sort of 18 to 50, right? So it's 18 years as opposed to, what, 38 years? And that's, you know, a a man has more than twice the window of a woman. So for every year that you take up of a woman's dating life when she's younger, it's like two years of yours. So you say, well, we had a four-year relationship. It's like, that's kind of eight years for her as far as her fertility window and maximum appeal and, and bonding and so on goes. Because we used to have this sense of um, obligation towards towards women, knowing that women are different from men. Now, of course, there's all this propaganda that women are just like men and so on. It's like, you know, sperm and eggs age at different rates, right? Men age like wine, women age like milk. So, I, you know, if, if I were your father, I would have said, it's not fair for you to date a woman if you have no intention of staying with her because you're burning up her years of fertility and that's very destructive. Right. Yeah, and, you know, that sort of conversation, I don't remember if we had it explicitly, but that certainly, um, that certainly um, was, was present in my mind. And... and you know, it was sort of interesting. I think also that created a connotation in my mind that if um, I was dating a woman and we were not solidly on the road, you know, to 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 marry, that in in a way I was um, abusing the woman, despite not lying to her or anything like that. Um, and and that led me to a phase in life where I actually I found it very freeing to go out with a woman and and say, look, you know. Um, I am not, uh, asking you to marry this. Is, I'm, this is, I'm not even at that, you know, hurdle right now because we're only, we've only met. Um, and to have a sexual relationship that was consensual and that where she, where, where she wasn't feel, where she would say essentially, Hey, look, you know, I am, uh, not you're not you know tricking me or and you're not like wasting my time i know exactly what i'm getting into um that was actually very freeing at least at least you know when i was maybe in my you know 30s or something like that and i remember having a relationship where the woman you know said that and that was that that paradoxically sort of was freeing from the um what i felt was sort of a an attitude that you know, men are sort of 
you know, evil um, uh, abusers of, of women and or sexual predators and things like but that. Do so, you know for sure that the woman wasn't just saying that to get you into a relationship? I mean, so I, I don't know that for sure. But well, then, there but are I, indications, though. I mean, I, I'm not asking you to be a mind reader, right? There are indications as to whether that may be happening, right? So one of the indications is that she becomes more attached as time goes on. Another indication is she's upset when you break up, right? Another indication is that she starts talking more and more as you're dating about long-term plans together and so on. And also, you have to wonder uh, about a woman who's just willing to burn up her 30s on casual dating if she, she's either lying or kind of crazy, right? I mean, assuming that she wants kids or, or that kind of po possibility because that's ridiculously irresponsible. It's one thing to spend $100,000 on a car when you have $10 million. It's still stupid, but you can afford it, right? It's not a wise thing to spend $100,000 on a car when you have $100,001 in the bank, right? Sure. Uh, you know, I did, I did think about that, of course, and I sort of, that put me in a, in a little bit of a bind because um, what I wanted to do was sort of deal with a woman on an equal basis where I take her, you know, um, words at, as, you know, her, her, her final sort of statement and not, not judge her words and say, oh, you know, I know you're really lying because I'm, you know, sort of. It may not be lying, right? It may, it may not be lying. It just may not be an excess of self-knowledge is one way to put it, right? Yeah. You know what, though, I would say if I could go back, you know, to that time, I would. Uh, so the me t today, you know, going back 20 years, talking to the me you know, 20 years ago, I would actually say, you know what, you if you pay attention, you don't feel comfortable doing what you're doing. You know, you know that, you know, either either it's a relationship that's not satisfactory to you and then don't waste your time and find something better. Or, you know, that maybe she's harboring some sort of, uh, you know, um, desire for a, um, a different relationship than what you want. So you don't feel right about that either. So I mean, did you, did, did you know, if, sorry to interrupt, did you know if the women in your 30s who said, hey, let's just keep it casual, do you know if they wanted kids or not? Some did, some didn't. Um, some had kids. Uh, and uh, Oh, you dated the, single moms? No, no, no. No, they had kids afterwards. Oh, have kids. Okay, got it, got it. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost your question. Oh, uh, so the women who you were dating in your 30s, some of whom said, let's keep it casual, did they want kids? And you said some did, some didn't. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of got thrown off track because I didn't feel that the relationships were casual. Like, we never had a conversation that said, oh, let's keep it casual. Like, you know, these, these were monogamous relationships. These were, you know, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. Um, it was, they were, they were not at anything, you know, even close to like, you know, one night stands or anything like that. Right. But I mean, did the women say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties. Uh, I, you know, it's the old classic thing from women, right? I've had my fun and now I want to settle down. And did, was there anything like that? You start dating these women and they say, you know, like I'm 33, I'm 34. I want to have kids. So if no. you're not in that state of mind uh, or that place in life, then let's not get this going at all. Yeah, sure. I think there were conversations like that, that, that took place before we ever even, you know, 
started dating or even, you know, got in any way, you know, involved. There were there were uh, relationships. There was one relationship. No, hang on. Where, Sorry, I'm confused then. Because you said in your 30s, you weren't ready to settle down. So if the women said, I want to have kids, I want to settle down. If you weren't ready to settle down and you told them that, then how did the relationships get off the ground? So not every woman said that. But so let's say I had gone out with a, a woman for the first time and she says, you know, I really this is my objective. I really want to be you know, married in a couple of years and I really want to have you know, family starting you know, now. I, I think I would have said, well, you know, I, I think that that's great. Good luck to you. And I don't I just don't feel that that's the, you know, the, the, the track that I want right now. So I, I'm pretty sure that did that sort of conversation did happen. Oh, so the only relationships you had were with the women who either said they don't want kids, they did want kids, but they were willing to date a guy who at that time didn't want kids. Yeah, yeah. Were there and, women you know, who wanted kids who dated you anyway? Well, they didn't say that up front, but, you know, years later they did have kids. So, I, I mean, I think the facts bear out that they did want kids and, and ended up having them. You know, and, and there, were, there was at least one relationship that I myself ended because I felt this is terrible. I'm just burning up this woman's time. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to marry her. And, um, so I have to like get, let her go so that she can, you know, have kids if that's what she wants to do. But and were you of, ever deeply in love? Like, were you ever deeply like, in love with these women? Um, well, the one, yeah, some of them, I mean, at least, at least, uh, yeah. So how many women have you dated, including like the single dates? I don't mean slept with. I've just been on dates with just roughly. You mean if it's just like going out for coffee, does that count? And just yeah, yeah a, a date, right. A date where there's potential for romance. Um, I don't know, probably 50. 50. Yeah. 50, 50. And when the relationships ended, who would generally end them? Well, I mean, if we'd just gone out for coffee and we realized that we're no, sort no, of well, not... the relationships. I don't mean just the date. Um, oh, they've ended in in different ways. I mean, it's been probably fifty fifty if I've ended it or the other person has ended it. And, um, it so, is... if you really loved a woman, or you said you loved a, of the fifty, and again, I know some of them are just coffee, but of the fifty, how many did you deeply love? Mm. Two. Three. Wow. So you got a four to six percent ratio of love to dating. Well, come on. We're talking like going out for coffee. Like, okay. Let's say then how many were monogamous relationships of a length more than a couple of weeks? Maybe. Maybe. 12, 10, probably 10. Monogamous relationships, let's let's say 8 or 10. And how long would the relationships last on average? Several years. Several years? Yeah. So if you loved a woman and were going out with her for several years, why would it end? You deeply loved a woman. Yeah. Um... Well, one relationship I, I really regret um, that it ended, that I ended it. Um, 
at the same point, like that's easy for me to say now, but I look back at it and I was really frustrated in the relationship. Um, I, I just, I thought of a, of a home um, with this sort of, uh, we just didn't, she was very bright, she was very um, sensitive, but she was not very talkative. And I just, I thought the, the home without this dialogue, I, I just couldn't do it. It just seemed like, oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be like 40 years of silence or something. Well, um, no, because you have kids and you talk about the kids and like, you, it's easy to run out of conversation if, you, if your life isn't really changing that much, right? Well, there were, pretty, there were some pretty big changes, but, but, but I, you know, I agree with you and I wouldn't regret it if I didn't. Right. 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 I mean, I actually agree with you. And, you know, we could have talked, I think, much more about um, the like, I'm sure there were things that went back in her childhood, which are reasons that she was, you know, um, introverted the way that she was that I never, uh, I think, explored adequately. Right. So like, the long short of it is, I mean, um, I think I would make like a, a great dad and a good uh, partner. And now I'm at this crosswords of, of like, well, yeah, but unfortunately, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit ambivalent because had I been, you know, 30 years, th you know, 30 years old as opposed to 50, I would not, I don't think I would be as good of a, of a dad. I just didn't have. Well, no, but that's, that's, that's a mixed bag, right? Because you yeah, can say, well, emotionally, psychologically, financially, I'm in a better place. But when you're in your 70s, when your kids go into high school prom, when you are 60 and your kid wants to wrestle in the pool and you're afraid of breaking a tibia, you know, like that's, there's pluses and minuses, right? You'll have less energy, you'll be, be less able to go without sleep, you'll be more physically frail, you'll be not as able to play in the play centers. Like, I mean, you can look at the pluses, you know, you know all the things, the economics, you don't just look at the visible pluses, you look at the hidden minuses, but there are a lot of minuses too. Absolutely. You know, not, absolutely. Not least of which is being mistaken for the grandparent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, although I do feel that in my own childhood, um, what was lacking was dialogue all around. I mean, I look back and I'm like, what, why did nobody, you know, a, a conversation of, of five minutes you know, my girlfriend and I were talking about this the other day, how a conversation of five minutes can permanently change the way you see things for your entire life. Yeah. But these conversations just, like, where were they? Well, oh, most people really float dead. around each other like asteroid belts, like never touching, just randomly circling some empty gravity well center, never connecting, never contacting, never talking about anything important, never being honest, never revealing their thoughts and feelings, never telling people the truth about their history, never giving advice, never helping people avoid the disasters of the future, never confessing to mistakes made and lessons learned. I mean, we are an incredibly rich tapestry of wonderful information to others. And yet in most relationships, there's nothing. It's worse than nothing because there's the prevention of something. Because if you're in a relationship where you're not talking, where things are kind of empty, that's preventing you from getting a relationship where these things can happen, where you can have connection and communication. So, yeah, most relationships, um, I, I, you know, I won't say most, a lot of relationships are actually huge barriers to people having any kind of contact or connection. It's kind of like that bad job. You know, a job that's really terrible isn't so bad. Like I remember I was in a way, I was a dishwasher for three days 
in a restaurant. And, you know, I'd worked some pretty rough jobs, and I just, I couldn't do that. I, I'd like, it was gross. It was like something out of um, a George Orwell docudrama. It was uh, like, like down and out in Paris and London, something like that, being a plongeur. I mean, it was hard. It was fetid. Uh, it, the water was scalding. Uh, it was gross food that you had to take care of. It was slippery. And it really felt like I was in some sort of steam aired waterlogged hell uh, escape. And I, I remember like, I'm like, no, I'm not like, I, I'll go hungry rather than take this. So that job wasn't so bad. It's the job where you can just kind of get by and you can get along and there's a little bit of progress and it keeps you just complacent enough to not go and get the job of your dreams. And yeah, that's, uh, that's the same thing with relationships, of course. And this is sort of what you're talking about. It's good enough to be enjoyable, but not good enough to commit to. And that burned up more than three decades of your life, right? Yeah. And I look back, you know, to, to my parents, who I think were, were good parents, but the converse, just the conversation was lacking. And, um, good and, parents. And, yeah. Good I mean, parents. You've listened to these shows before, right? Oh, I certainly have. All right. Good parents help you avoid this kind of mess. Now, again, how long ago did your parents die? About a decade. About a decade. All right. So you were almost a quarter century into your frou-frou dating thing, right? And you were in your 40s. And you weren't settled down. Right. So don't good parents, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but don't good parents help their children avoid these kinds of dilemmas? I mean, they had a quarter century to talk to you about what to look for in a woman. And it could be lessons learned. It could be, you know, but, but if you want to have kids and kids are, I mean, you want to have kids, right? And they wanted to have kids and so they had a quarter century for a 10-minute phone call that never happened, never came, never picked up the phone, or if you were home, just sit down and say, hey, Stephen, what's going on with your dating life? Like, what's going on? You're kind of circling the drain. What, like, why you, why you keep dating these women, right? Why don't you find, do you know what you want? You know, and, and here's how to look for it, and here's how to settle down, and right, because you're going to get too old, and... So for me, when someone says, no, they were good parents, it's like a 10-minute conversation or really a 30-second conversation to just sort of ask what I've asked or comment what I've commented. If you've got a quarter century to have a very essential 30-second opening to a conversation and you don't take it, come on. You know, that they, there were conversations. I feel that I pushed them away sometimes. But... The conversations that needed to take place were much before that. Um, that uh, I think. So you're widening the time frame in which they should have had these conversations. It, it, that's yeah. not a defense of them, I hope, because that makes it even worse, right? Maybe they had 35 years. Maybe they had 40 years in yeah. which to have these conversations and didn't. Well, I, I say I didn't say they were fantastic parents. I said they were good parents. So, like, I, on a scale of like you know one to ten, that means like you know seven or something like that. Um, and I, I cut them sort of that slack. And although I recognize there's no way I would do some of the things that they did or not do some of the things that they didn't do. Um, um, but I know that, you know, my dad came from a family that, you know, beat him and, you know, hit him. And the answer was always no. And it was very sort of austere. 
and um, uh, and my mom lost her mom when she was you know just a child. So I think she was very um, sort of needy and vulnerable in in a way. Um, oh, so people are like dominoes from history. They have no responsibility and no choice to deal with things. Things just happen to you or happen to them, and that is why they turned out the way they turned out. There's no free will, there's no intervention, there's no self-knowledge, there's no commitment to anything different. It's determinism, right? I criticize my parents, and pretty harshly on the things that I think that they were wrong on, because I don't want to No, but first them. thing you give is explanations for their behavior to a guy who believes in free will. Like, well, this happened, and therefore, right? My mom lost her mom, and my dad was beaten, and what? So what? I was beaten. What, what, what does that mean? It's not causal. And, and, and the reason I have to keep interrupting this stuff, and I'm sorry to be annoying, I'm, I'm sure I am being annoying, and maybe unjustly so, but the re I can't let those statements stand. Because this is a public comment. I mean, privately, if you and I were just sort of talking at a bar or over coffee or whatever, I wouldn't let it stand. But because this is going to be a public conversation, I really can't let it stand. Because that's saying that our choices are determined by our history. Now, if you'd have said, well, my dad was beaten and he never dealt with it, or my mom lost her mom and she, she never dealt with it or never talked about it, and that's, okay, then, then we have an intervention of choice between environment and outcome. But if you say environment leads to outcome, I, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't let that message go out into the world because it's, it's false and it, it's actually kind of dangerous, right? Yeah, I take your point. Your point okay, is well. and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interfere with your. I, I mean, I have sympathy for your parents. Don't get me wrong, but no, you're right. there's a choice. Yes, you're right. There were and there were many contradictions in sometimes of the things that they would, you know, attest to believe and and, and actually do. So you're right. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought. No, okay, but let me ask you this: Do you think? Oh, I was, I, I was screaming for Congress. I just remember being a child and just the silence of the home was so sort of like so thick I felt I could cut it. And I just remember like s sort of screaming in, in, through my actions for um, often sort of self-destructive actions for, um, for attention, for conversation. And I think that's one of the things that has attracted me to your show so strongly and even <laughs> Well, absolutely. No, no. Um, I mean, I, 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 th th this is an oasis in a desert of human malcommunication. This is like where we talk about important shit that matters. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is where we, we talk about uh, and, and, and a way in which people can confront me. I can confront people in a way that's not hostile or destructive, but cracking and illuminating, so to speak. Yes. As a matter of fact, to me, uh, sort of the cracking and illuminating was maybe num many years ago, like 15 years ago or so when I started to make a little more money. I took the first thing I did was to start in psychoanalysis, and uh, I mean the most obvious thing to me was just how much I wanted to talk and explore things. And 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 you know, I have to own up to the fact that I did not cultivate that in my relationships prior to the psychoanalysis. But afterwards, you know, um, my present girlfriend, like one of the first things I, I learned that you know that she was you know, in psychoanalysis. And she's just such a wonder, wonderful person to talk to, um, that that is so important. And I didn't have that in my other relationships. As a matter of fact, I look at the relationships and, and every time I, I felt that somebody would eye roll or, or, or 
sort of um, slander my, my feelings or emotions about something or there were conversations that we couldn't have because they weren't right. I just, it was, it was just a nail in the coffin and it would take a while for the, for the relationship to end. But, you know, if we can't face things with curiosity and dialogue and dive into them, I just didn't want to be in those relationships. Fortunately, now I, I actually am really happy in the relationship that I'm in um, now because I have a very reasoning, dialoguing, intelligent partner. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll sort of give you a tiny example of, of how early you can teach this stuff is that one of the things that I, it's, it's sort of like uh, Tyrone in Long Day's Journey Into Night, I'm bothered when the lights are on. Because, you know, when we when I was growing up, it's, and it's not, I mean, it's good to not have useless lights on, but it's not like you're setting fire to a big bucket of money, right? But when I was a kid, of course, you know, we had to sort of feed coins into the heater to get some heat and we were cold and the coins meant something and you couldn't leave the lights on and so on. It was just, and now, so with my daughter, you know, she leaves lights on sometimes and I remind her and we have conversations about it. And I say, look, I mean, part of it's sort of my history and, but you know, it is, it's kind of a waste of power and it takes a lot of energy to generate that power and uh, and so on. And so, yeah, the other day, right the day after we'd had a conversation about it, she left like two lights on and I was like, okay, come on, that's kind of annoying, right? I mean, because we have these conversations and, you know, I know she's only 10 and all that, but I said, like, I'm annoyed by it. I said, that doesn't mean that you annoyed me or you're annoying. It just means that I'm annoyed. It doesn't like, that's, I'm just telling you, be honest about I'm just being honest about sort of where I am. I'm annoyed. And it could be because, you know, we were sort of talked about the theories behind it. But if you don't have self-knowledge, it's really tough to have a conversation. Because if you don't have self-knowledge, you'll just say, you know, you, you just really annoyed me by leaving those lights on. And then they may comply. Okay, sorry, right? Or they may push back, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm 10. I can't remember everything, whatever, right? But if it's self-knowledge, then you have something to explore. And that's why I sort of push back against this dominoes of events lead to personalities lead to to outcomes because there's precious little to talk about if you're acting out and you act out you can't talk it out and if you talk it out you don't need to act it out and so to me where there are relationships where there is little communication and that communication that there is is inconsequential you know past the salt it rained today uh, I hope the Bruins win this weekend and that kind of stuff right Trump's in you know and those conversations or really conversation avoidances are always an indication that people don't have self-knowledge because you have self-knowledge there's a lot to explore there's a lot to negotiate there's growth there's change there's progress there's you know i mean most people's conversations are like you just watch the same movie over and over and over again yeah i think you're absolutely right my parents and, and if did. you and you get bored right and then you get inattentive and you stop Watching the movie. Why? Because, you know, I mean, the moment you know exactly what people are going to say, I mean, I was kind of surprised sometimes in these shows. I could be doing this for like 15 years now, close to. And I'm like, I can come up with something new. I can come up with something new because self-knowledge and curiosity and I read a lot and I think a lot and have lots of great conversations. So where there isn't self-knowledge, there is very little capacity for conversation, which is why you haven't been through psychoanalysis, your girlfriend haven't been through psychoanalysis. You've got stuff to talk about because there's space to talk without defensiveness, without attack, without rigidity. Rigidity is where it is no fun. Rigidity is like if you've ever tried to paint a picture and your paints are really, really dry, you, you can't, right? I mean, rigidity is like that. you just can't take a paint picture unless your paints are wet or at least damp. And so... 
where you guys have self-knowledge, you have communication, and that's why you pursue self-knowledge. So you can actually have interesting conversations for the rest of your life. And if your parents did not have self-knowledge or weren't curious or simply presented their emotions as conclusions about you having caused them or whatever, well, there's nothing, there's nothing to talk about. Yes, my parents did not have self-knowledge, at least not the way um, I would, that they could have, I think. Right. Right. Now, so the question then is sort of back to the original thing for me, which is, why did you leave? What were you looking for? Where were you going? And look, I, I'm, the fact that you traveled, I'm not criticizing that. I mean, but the motive behind it is important. So I think there were two motives, um, or, or m many motives. But one, um, I sort of felt a lot of pressure to go, or even though it was sort of a lot of pressure to sort of go to medical school, become a doctor, these sorts of things. And I just, that seemed very funneling in. In, 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 in. And I really wanted to look out. And I sort of sensed also that, that um, what I most value is freedom and creation of, you know, things that people want, not a government imbued, controlled guild that wants you, you know, the, the, the big... But you didn't get freedom. You got freedom from consequences. You got freedom from negative stimuli. But I don't know, because you're not, you know, you weren't free to have kids. You weren't free to settle down. You weren't free to get married, well, I, so to speak, I would, right? I was then. I mean, I, I was. But you're, you're right. I mean, Were I think you? I... I mean, if you'd panicked in your 30s, you, you yeah, know, I mean, you, you could have kids in, in, in high school now. Something kept you from panicking. Something kept you from, and that's that's sort of the essence that I'm trying to get to here, right? So I was running from uh, from this sort of obligation I felt to go to medical school that I I simultaneously wanted to do, but you know, but also found stifling and, and didn't want to do. Um, I, I also I also felt this is sort of strange, maybe, but I also felt that um, in Closer to, to my to my parents where they lived, I also felt kind of stultified, and I really felt like um, I couldn't uh, I couldn't have a sex life. I couldn't really date very freely, um, which right, is right. I, this, I don't know. This is sort of an odd sort of an odd thing. Um, I, I do remember I, I dated a, a woman who, who was the one I really regret um, sort of let getting letting get away to put it. She you know, was not of European origin. And my mom sort of took me aside and said, you know, that's not right. You know, she's, she's not of, you know, the same race. And you, Wait, you know, what do you, you mean, not of European origin? That's a bit of a, a odd way to define it. What race yeah, was she? Yeah, she was Japanese, or, Japanese ja, of, okay. of Japanese origin. And, um, and my mom was sort of like, well, you know, you always like to, you know, you're very curious, you like to do things differently, but you can't have kids as an experiment. I was like, what are you, what I wasn't thinking, I mean, I don't view this woman as a, as an experiment or a, or a curiosity. I mean, no, but biracial kids do often have fitting in issues. They often have, where's my tribe issues. They and may have some health issues because of, um, 
whatever, right? So, I mean, not all and, and maybe not even the majority, but and people can do the research themselves. I've done it a while ago. But if you're going to make the choice to have a mixed race child, that's fine. It's not a violation of the non-aggression principle, of course, right? But it is important to know kind of what you're getting into and the effects that may be there so that you can remediate them, right? The effects that may be there with your child. Fair enough. I mean, I'm sure your mother didn't put it overly delicately, uh, and I'm not mm. sure I would agree with her, you know, your kids are an experiment kind of thing. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. But Should there are issues that need to be navigated with mixed-race children. Yeah. Yeah, she later apologized, and, and I, I think, okay. Um, yeah, we're still not, though, why you had to leave so much. So around, your parents, around your parents, I assume the conversations were really kind of dull, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they didn't really flow. Um, I don't know. Even, you know, from, from my youngest days as a kid, I would like take my bicycle and I would just go, you know, to explore. I would go as far as I could, you know. Of course, was, because home was boring. Yeah. 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 School was boring, too. Oh, yeah. Well, if you've got an IQ over 85, school is boring. And if you have an IQ under 85, school is boring. <laughs> Actually, school is boring for everyone. <laughs> but I mean. I, I used to, I remember as a child, I used to get, you know, magazine subscriptions to scientific journals and things. And I, I probably couldn't understand it very well, but it was interesting. It was thought provoking. It was fascinating. It was this whole world out there. Um, and so you're right. So where, why wasn't that also at home? Well, my dad worked a lot. He was not home. Like we would, uh, I remember when as a child, like my mom would wake us up. Oh, you with the environmental explanations. My God. It's like we didn't even have that earlier conversation. Why didn't we have quality conversations? My dad worked a lot. Nope. Nope, nope, no. Nope. But working a lot doesn't mean that you can't have quality conversations. That's true. That is true. So that's interesting. I think, I think we're getting closer as to why you were on the road so much. Mm. Okay, so if the environment causes people to have bad conversations, the further you get away from the environment, the more likely it is that you can have good conversations. You know what? I think you hit us on something. Because I remember as I started, you know, on uh, to, to travel and, and things, I would often sort of tell myself that this will make myself a more interesting person. And therefore, you know, converse, what, what, what's the upshot, upshot of that? Well, conversations will be more interesting. Right. Right. And, you know, I thought of that making myself a more interesting person so that, you know, I would have more interesting conversations and more interesting life. But also in terms of future studies, if I wanted to continue studying, well, I would be, I thought, you know, I would be more likely to be accepted because I would be a more interesting person. So this idea of being interesting in interesting conversations and like the interview process, whatever that happens to be, there's something there, Stefan. I agree. Right. Because if you say, my parents made the choice to be boring, then you don't have to leave to be interesting. You can just make different choices. But if it's the environment that makes your parents boring, well, it's a pretty big environment that you're born into, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there were certainly many, many interesting things in my immediate environment that I didn't you know, need to go to the other side of the world to find interesting things. Although, you know, I'm, I, it's hard to say. Like, I don't want to say that... Uh, that, that Anybody who leaves their environment is, you know, 
Oh, no, no. Listen, I'm not. Again, I'm, I'm not criticizing you. You can go travel all you want. I, I think travel is a wonderful thing. As I've said before, all is permitted with self-knowledge. If you That's know right. why you're traveling, if you're traveling for good reasons, and and if traveling and a reaction to your environment doesn't strip you, great point that of is- marriage and children. That's fine, right? You you can do whatever you want. You should just really know why you're doing it, right? That's that gives that's where your real freedom is. That's uh, that's a perfect point because I think I did not have the um, the self knowledge to even understand exactly what this attraction to travel is. It, you know, was it fleeing? Was it looking for you know adventure? Was it you know what is this whole? And I think you hit something really appropriate on the head when you said, "Yeah, well." Uh, interesting, you know, make your life interesting, make your conversations interesting. I mean, what is it I've said that I like so much about my girlfriend, you know, interesting conversations. Now, you're um, assuming that that's your Skype picture. Yeah. You have a baby face and a full head of hair, right? Well, that's a picture from the front. So I, I, I have Oh, little... are you getting a bit of monkey butt on the back? <laughs> that's not what I call it, but yeah. I right, have a little... Right. I, I, you can now. It's not patented. <laughs> So no, you you are you have kind of a baby face, and at least from the front, right? I mean, you got more hair than me. I think that's fair to say. But then, so does your average egg. Um, that's true. I definitely look younger than than I than I am. Right, and you look like you're keeping yourself relatively trim. You're not getting the middle aged dough butt muffin nope. top spread or anything nope. like that, right? Nope, nope, nope. Healthy eater, workout. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, so that's a problem too. Mm-hmm. Right, no, because because, it, because you're not it, getting the age. I talked about this with the guy from Thailand recently. Like well, I heard the conversation and I spoke about it with my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. So so because you're not getting the aging signals, right? Yes. I was actually just I was just saying, saying to my wife today. You know, we we've known each other 17 years, and I said you look better than when I first met you, and she said, well, you do too because you lost weight from when I I met you, and uh, and I said, yeah, and. You know, because I was bald when you met me. I mean, other than a bit of salt and pepper in, in the occasional beard, I mean, I haven't really. I mean, this big null zone of like time. Yeah, you know, I lost my hair, and nothing really has changed. Uh, and even looking back at videos, I was just a little bit plumper 15 years ago, but not much, really much has changed other than I've gotten older. The resolution's gotten better. But you're kind of in this time of no, no time. This timelessness, right? So that's the other question I had, which is why didn't you panic about kids until you're 53? Oh, no, and I'm not saying you're panicking, but why didn't it arise as an issue? No, I started panicking a few, uh, a few years ago. Um, well, but not enough that you would... I mean, how long have you been dating your girlfriend? For four years. I'm sorry? Four years. Okay, and did you panic before or after you started dating her? Um, around the time I started dating her. That's not a lot of panic, then, is it? <laughs> right? I mean, if you're dating a woman in her early to mid-40s, when you're panicking about having kids, you're not panicking that much, right? Yeah, that's true. So, so my question is, why didn't you panic? Because panic would have been good. Like, as you said, you wish you could send yourself back a message like 20 years or whatever and say, don't, don't end up, right? That's what you said in your email to me. I can be like a warning yeah. to others, like what not to do. So that's the other question. Why did you go... And why didn't you panic? Those are the two big questions that I think if you can resolve those, you'll be at peace with whatever decision you make regarding kids. And if you can't, I think it's going to kind of torment you, in my opinion, right? So I think we're somewhere along the first one, like, why did you go? But the second one, why didn't you panic, right? I remember having a conversation some years ago with a guy 
I think he was living in his brother's garage or something like that. And he was in his, I don't know, late 40s or early 50s or something like that. And he's like, I don't want to panic. I'm like, you kind of do. <laughs> I remember that conversation. You remember that one, right? Now would be an excellent time to panic because you're middle-aged, living in a garage. Now's a good time to freak out and change, right? So I think there's two, two factors that sort of assuage that panic. One was the one you hit on the head that I, I in, in, you know, apparently good physical health and I look, you know, younger than most people my age. So I you look at least 10 years younger. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Maybe more even. Um, And so that was... There's that little bit of physical vanity. All right, go on. (laughs) What do you mean only 10? What do you mean only 10? Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just what people say, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's true. Um, And I think the other part is that I never quite felt, and I never was, uh, really solidly satisfied with my career. And um, I think my, my, my attractiveness um, and my ability to support a family and all these things is tied in with my ability to make money and, and to even have an identity you know, for you know, family and these sorts of things. So I think those two... One, I felt, okay, I have a little more time because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm you know, in good health and I look fairly young. And the other was, um, well, I'm, I, I've got to get my act together better in terms of a career. And what industry do you work in? So I used to work uh, in the pharmaceutical industry and I just hated it. I mean, as time, you know, went on, I just saw so much corruption and right you uh, don't you don't like pushing questionable drugs for quasi cures for often made up illnesses oh i may be over characterizing but i hate to say it but i did for six months and that i felt i looked in the mirror and i just i saw an old decrepit guy and and this is when i was working with a so-called anti-psychotic and i i i quit that job and i'm so you were you were pushing antipsychotics so yeah i i mean it was oh I, at the time, and as a matter of fact, what drew me to you actually was the conversation that you had with Thomas Satz. So that's how I actually uh, yeah, you, found Yeah, Thomas Satz, uh, and also um, I did think I did two interviews with Roger Whitaker, which were great as well. Oh, great. I, okay. So, yeah, so that's what actually led me to you was your interview with Thomas Satz. Um, and oh, S-A-S-Z, if I remember right, for those who want to S- look it up. Yeah, S-S-Z-A-S-Z. Sorry, Thomas. S-A-S-Z? S-Z-A-S-Z. S-Z-A-S, thank you. Okay, S-E-A-S, thanks. S-Z-A-S-Z. Yeah, Thomas Stephen says, was, his books have changed my life, and which were really what led me to my you know, present sort of um, ANCAP beliefs, you know, anarcho-capitalism beliefs. His, his reasoning about the myth of mental illness and freedom and personal responsibility, just fantastic. Okay, so we're talking about six months. I don't want to go off on that, because we're talking about six months of your career, um, I, I assume there's a couple of bookends there that, that are more significant yeah, in terms so, of your dissatisfaction. So I, so I stayed in you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry for you know, probably 15 years and you know, worked my way up in different, different positions, always having misgivings about you know, what I was doing. Oh, so there's something else you could have panicked on. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I should have panicked on that like a long, long time ago. And I did, you know, I, I did, but I didn't see like a way out. Oh, no, no, it ain't panic unless something really radical changes. You don't match, you don't match a panic by the emotion, but by the effect, right? 
Yeah, I see. Um, okay, so you were in that industry for 15 years, and then what? And then I left, and I actually applied to medical schools, went, uh, got into the medical school that I wanted, and uh, started, and just hated it. I absolutely hated it. I actually, I, I actually failed uh, biochemistry, which for me, it's kind of a, it takes an effort to fail biochemistry um, by, by two points. And I, I just, I felt like um, I, I just couldn't do it. Like my subconscious. No, but what did you hate uh, about it? Was it the environment, the people, the curricula? It was, I just, everywhere I saw the way government is destroying medicine and like the, uh -huh. I mean, I, I, know, I know everything from the Flexner report and the, you know, how American medicine got to, you know, the way it is and I understand. Oh yeah, I just saw a report, I can't remember, it was some outlandish percentage of time that the residents spend doing data entry rather than practicing medicine. Yeah, so there, there was just so many things that I, I looked at and I was like, look, I, I the very capability that makes me good at the diagnosis of pathology also makes me good at understanding the pathology of medicine in America and in the world. And I just, I just, I would like to say I couldn't do it, but I would think the truth is I wouldn't do it. And, and how long I, were you in the medical program for? First year, just the first year. Okay, okay, and then? And then I left. And I, since then, I haven't, I haven't been working. Um, and I've been very interested in the area of, you know, biotechnology and food. How long ago was that? That was three years. Holy Bitcoin, Batman. How are you not, how are you not, how are you living on three years? Well, I live very frugally and I have my savings from my, you know, previous work. And I've just been living, you know, with that. And it's not, it's not, it's not emotionally satisfying and it's not economically viable over the long term, especially not. Well, how, how much time have you got before you burn your last gallon? Well, so I live in Latin America, so it's not too expensive, but, um, well, that's not true. In many ways, it's as expensive as the States. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I, I mean, if I wanted to, I could probably stay for another, you know, living the way I'm living for 10 or 15 years, but I don't want to die penniless. And I don't want to live this, you know, reducing, uh, you know, diminishing, eclipsing life until it finally just fades out. But what's your, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just out of curiosity, and you don't have to tell me anything in specificity, but I'm always I'm fascinated by people's finances. So what is your burn rate per month in U.S. dollars? Um, about a thousand. A thousand a month. Maybe a little more if you, yeah, maybe a little bit more. But yeah, not, not and that's that's all in. That's like even if you want to go. Oh, you guess you can't really go on vacation or anything. So you're you're burning up a grand a month, and you've been unemployed for three years. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and you could, as you say, I guess you've got some investments or whatever, and you could keep chugging along like this. Um, but it's kind of like. Your life's yeah. over in a way. You're just kind of hanging around and breathing some I mean, to, some, would, to some degree, right? I would feel like I was just like laying in the casket waiting to die. If yeah, 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 yeah. Still got a like, pulse, would, not sure why. That would be the least satisfying thing that I could imagine. World's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm really smart, know a lot about ethics, philosophy, morality, and economics. And here I am going down to skip rocks by the water again today. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and and it, it's I, that would be, I think, it, uh, it is... 
Well, I mean, I do read a lot, and I did for these for past. What? You know, well, so that's a great question. For what? You're not so, going to educate kids. You're not doing online seminars. You're not running for office. You're not changing the world. Like, okay, I now have more books in my brain that's going to die. Well, so so you're right on that. So I would like to start a podcast. Now, whether I will or not, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> you know, listen, um, listen, listen, listen. Yes, I'm listening. Here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not <laughs> laughing at you. I'm just yeah. laughing at my life experience. Okay. If you ever want to know what people are not going to do, I want to is the best indicator. Somebody says, I would like to, I want to, I plan to, I'm going to. No. No, no, no. Because no. there's nothing that stopped you for the last three years or five years or ten years from doing that. You've been, if you've been unemployed for three years and you say, well, I'm thinking of starting a podcast, you know what I know you're not going to do? Start a podcast. And you should accept that. Because if you want, it's not like, it's not like kids and, and, and marriage and extended family and, and work. Isn't, isn't not, none of that's been in your way. And, and be very careful about putting these little markers out there. Like, yeah, you know, my life plan is I'm going to start a podcast one day. Well, if that day ain't today, it ain't going to happen. What it is is a way for you to feel like you have some sense of organization and purpose, but it's a mirage. It's an illusion, right? There's nothing could, what has stopped you? Mm. I always feel like I'm not ready, but yeah, okay. But I, but I and you'll never going. feel ready. Of course you won't, right? I mean, it's um, it's like when people say, "Oh, I've always wanted to write a book." Hey, you know what? I, you know what I know you're never going to do. Like I remember when I was 24, saying to a woman at a party, "Yeah, I really, really want to write this book on Sergei Nikayev, who was a a, a Russian." nihilist and, and revolutionary and he was really convincing and, and he was arrested by these Russian policemen and he actually convinced them to let him go by talking to them about the system in the ride to the police station or it was something like that or whatever right and she's like yeah 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 right anyway I met the same woman next year at the party and I handed her a car hey, I wrote this book it's called Revolutions it's a really good book I'm very pleased with it I'm so very pleased with it it's a novel right and so when people say I'd like to write a book or I want to write a book it's usually a market they won't if people say this book is going to come out of me if I have to rip out my own, like I have to rip out my own spleen with my hands because it's offensive to me and possessed by Moloch, the Antichrist or something, right? And so when people talk to me about what they're going to do, I know that they're telling me what they're not going to do. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing that's been stopping you. You say, well, I'm not ready. Who gives a shit about being ready? I mean, <laughs> this is not like you're scrubbing up to open up someone to take out a role like someone left in there in an appendectomy, right? I mean, there's nothing to stop you. And this idea that you have to wait to be ready, that's another. Ah, there we go. There we go. Here's the theme of the call. Yes, I the environment. <laughs> you know how you get ready? You fucking do it. You do it until you get good at it. Yes, I hear you. Right? I mean, you just, or if you, you, if you want to practice, right? Like when I started doing podcasts in my car, I'd spent a lifetime practicing speeches in my head, sometimes even out loud. I'd, I'd debated, I'd argued, all these kinds of things, right? So if you're in a situation where you have to wait until you feel ready, then the choice is not within you to do it. You have to wait for this alignment of the planets called magical readiness, which never happens. Environment, environment. That's why I was pushing back against the environment. You have chosen not to do this.
Yes, and I think this ties in, you know, I, I hear the, the very difference between, you know, thinking and doing. I hear in my own, you know, conversation here, whether it be, you know, having kids to um, um, making, you know, money, uh, I hear of just a lack of action. Yeah. So when people say to me, like, I want to start a podcast, I'll say, well, what, what have you done to do that? Right. Right. So, I mean, have you bought a microphone? Have you listened to your favorite podcasters and figured out how they do what it is that they do? Have you picked up a little camera? Have you, you know, what, whatever, right? Do you have a mixing board? Do you have, you know, have you read up on, on how to process audio correctly? Have you, you know, anything, right? And if it's no, it's just like, then this is just a stupid thought wandering around your head with no place to go. Because the way that you get things done is you incrementally commit. You incrementally commit to them, right? Oh, I want to start a podcast. Okay, well, I'm going to watch some videos about how to podcast, right? Okay, so then you've already invested that time. You're a little, you're an inch of the way up the mountain, right? Because you've already invested that time. And we, we have this fallacy of sunk cost, sometimes not always a fallacy, which is whatever you invest time into, you kind of want to do more of, right? Because you've already invested that time and you'll have wasted that time if you don't, right? So then you say, okay, well, I'm going to do some research on a good microphone to get. And I'm going to figure out people's good rigs or whatever it is. And, and then you, you order that microphone. Oh my gosh, now you spend a hundred bucks on a microphone. And if you don't podcast, your microphone's just sitting there saying, I'm lonely. <laughs> Talk to me like a plant, right? Say, so, oh, okay, well, I pick up a webcam. I like the Logitech Brio. If you're going to use a webcam, 1080, 60 and 4K and pretty good lighting and all that. And so, yeah, or you can just, you know, pick up a regular old camera and, all, oh, now you have a camera. Ah, now you got to hook up the audio to the camera. God help you if you've got a USB mic. But anyway, right, so each incremental step, right? Okay, now I'm just going to jot down some ideas for some shows, right? Now, what, what this is doing is preparing you mentally. The reason you're not ready is you haven't given yourself those incremental investments. So your, your brain is empirical. So your, your motivations kick in when you have made incremental investments because your, your deep self is always looking for, is he serious? Because I'm not raising myself into motion if he's not serious. I'm not going to dig in and give this guy juicy creative stuff if he's not serious. So it's like, okay, well, he's, I'm, I'm getting messages down here like we're starting a podcast. Okay. Is he serious? This is your deep brain, right? The, the, the part that's deeper even than our ego, right? Your deep brain is just waiting, okay? A anything happening? No. Okay, well, I'm not going to bother rousing myself because it's really frustrating if your deep brain rouses itself to give you all of this wonderful stuff. You know, you don't cast your pearls before a swine and there's no point painting a beautiful painting that you then throw into the ocean or lock in a cupboard somewhere and nobody ever sees it. That's really frustrating, right? If you want to create something of truth and something of beauty and then hide it from the world, well, your deep self doesn't want to have anything to do with that because that's like having a baby and strangling it in the crib, right? You want to raise these things and get them out into the world. And so if nothing is happening incrementally in what you're doing, your deep brain is like, it's just talk. I'm not going to bother because it would be really painful to give him all this great stuff and have him just sit on it or never produce it. You got to at least meet, meet that halfway. I hear you. 
So, what are you going to do with your life? You've got another 40 years to go, man. Hopefully, yes. Well, I don't know if you're going to be hoping for it all the way if you don't get something done. <laughs> you could be like, oh, I like that really cynical person in that illuminatingly horrible show, Veep. The cynical old guy is like, I don't know, maybe I'll be dead by then. One can only hope. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly I, I, I hear and I take to heart and I agree like with this call for action, you know, whether it, you know, in terms of, well, I have to make a decision about kids and um, you know, my present relationship and what I think about adoption or even, you know, surrogate and things that I just don't feel comfortable with. But also um, other things that I really value that I am not contributing to. You mean like the virtue and salvation of the world itself? For example, yeah. For example, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's not point, much point taking a silent ANCAP brain to the grave, right? Agreed. Yeah. And, I uh, have a cure for a terrible ailment, but I'm telling no one. <laughs> yeah, so I guess so. sort of comes full circle, sort of this lack of conversation that I complained about so much in, you know, recently about my childhood. I'm sort of not talking to the world. Well, um, you, you, have, you have no will in your life at the moment, if you don't mind me being you know, perfectly blunt and, you know, tell me to get lost if it's too blunt. And this is the price of giving your parents determinism. Is that you're kind of in any way the wind blows guy. Right? Like, oh, you know, I'm kind of in this pharmaceutical industry. I don't really like it, but it's good money. And okay, I'll just do that. And, and then, you know, you get a soul revolt against these antipsychotics and you, you bomb out. It's like, oh, okay, I'll go to medical school. Oh, I hate that. You know, and, and oh, I'll start a podcast. But you see, you're like a leaf in the wind, right? There's no strong will in your life. Like, I'm dating this girl. She's nice, but I want kids. And right, you don't have any will. And that's the price of giving your parents determinism. Because if you say to your parents, well, or if you say about your parents, well, my parents were just products of their environment. Well, guess what? Your environment has no willpower in it. The willpower is within you, and it's versus your environment. Yeah. Right? You, right. you know, the natural state of human, the human body is obesity and decay. You're right? right? So if you want to not be fat and brittle-boned, then you've got to eat well and work out. You've got to will yourself against reality, against the environment. That's what willpower is for, is to do stuff that is against the environment. But if you have the sense that human personality is the product of the environment that robs you of your will. And so you follow what is pleasurable, right? Like any mammal, right? You follow what is pleasurable. I enjoyed this career to some degree. I like dating this woman. Now I don't, so I'll break up with her. Oh, this woman's nice. I'll go date with her now. She doesn't like me or I don't like her. We'll break up and, right? Where's your will? Where's your ferocious dig in and make your life happen essence? Yeah, that you hit it on the head. No will, that's it. And so the natural state of life is decay. And the natural state of life is infertility. Because getting married, choosing the right woman, getting married, having children, that is an act of will. Now, it didn't used to be the case, right? Before birth control and all of that, then fertility was the natural state of things and you kind of had to work pretty hard to avoid it. But 
Yeah, your cribs are as empty as your will. And that's why you've withdrawn from the world, which you have, right? Yeah. yeah Does your girlfriend uh, want to smack you upside the head with a wet fish and say, what the hell are you doing with your life? I think she's done that. You think? Now, I think you'd remember if she had. Yeah, I'm trying to think, was the fish wet? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to do it to myself. No, I do do it. I, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what's wrong with me? Like, time's passing, passing. Like, what, you know, what, what a waste. Come on. Yeah, but you now have three years of accumulated entropy, right? An object that's in motion tends to stay in motion. An object that's at rest tends to stay at rest. Or, as we used to say in the business world, if you really want to get something done, give it to the busy man. Don't give it to the guy who's not busy, because there's a reason he's not busy, which is nobody wants to give him stuff because he can't get it done, right? The busy guy is the guy everyone gets their stuff to because he gets it done. So you are a guy who's got now three years of accumulated inertia, and that's tough. That's a tough thing to dislodge, right? True. Because it's kind of comfy, right? No, it's not comfy. No, I no? don't agree with that. No. But no, 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 it's no. more comfortable than the alternative. Otherwise, you would have started your podcast already. I, you know... I understand what you're saying, but there there can be a certain like uh, you can sort of see a storm coming and think, well, I'm not going to create a shelter because it's it's uh, the path of least resistance not to create a shelter. But you see the storm coming and it's it's not comfortable. All right. So what does it cost you to manifest yourself in your life? Like what is painful about that? What is hard about that? What is what is keeping you so prostrate? What is keeping you so jelly boned and, and willless? In other words, there's an emotional price to waking the fuck up, shaking your head, saying, okay, I've faffed away close to half a decade, right? I got I to gotta get my shit together and I got to get moving somewhere. I got to make some decisions about my life. What is painful about that for you? Um, I think it's the same thing that attracts me to your podcast, the same thing that attached, well, interesting, um, attached, attracted me to Thomas Satz. Interesting, I slip on words. Um, it's that you make yourself vulnerable for attack, to attack. You say things that are true and unpopular and bring, you know, severe attack um, down on you. And, you know, if you work in business, I think they would, if you still had your company, I wonder if they would have, you know, people would have shut your company down. Um, oh, you mean if I was doing this plus being an executive? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this was a one-way street. Yeah, yeah, no question. This was a one-way street. Of course, yeah. I mean, they'd contact all the customers. They'd uh, contact uh, whoever they could. They did. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And, that's, that's, why I don't, that's why I don't take ads. It's why I don't take sponsors, all right? I mean, I just, I, I simply cannot have a single power source to the communications brain, right? It has to be fireflies. So I think it's because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of um, the consequences of saying things that are true, however, that go against, you know, powerful interests and people that um, will want to, you know, destroy my income source. And, you know, I would like to start a company. And there we go. I would like to. But so, <laughs> Would you but, now? <laughs> okay. You know, All right. But, but I'm afraid to because if I also 
raise my head and say some of the things that I observe and think, that company, I think, will be um, attacked. So maybe I'm paranoid. Like maybe this is, you know. But, oh, you no, know, no, no, no. It, it's not paranoia. Tom, Thinking that the left will attack you for telling the truth is not paranoid. You know, Thomas Sass, he was, he was uh, practically fired. He was fired, but he actually managed to get his position back after at Syracuse, New York, when he published the myth of mental illness, because he was accused of not believing in mental illness. Right. Uh, fascinating story. But, you know, he and everybody around him lost their career. Oh, I mean, good heavens. I mean, that's... I mean, look what happened with Helmuth Nyborg. You look what happened with Richard Lynn. Uh, you look what happened uh, with, uh, I mean, a wide variety of people uh, who have spoken truths that are uncomfortable. I mean, look what happened to Charles Murray. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's rough. Uh, it's rough and a half. I mean, Philip Rushton, uh, a Canadian professor who, who talked about uh, uncomfortable topics, uh, became a pariah in his own university. He was investigated. He was... Uh, he had to deliver his lectures by by video. Uh, sometimes uh, it was, you know, it's it's a, it's it's it can be harsh. I mean, the only reality, of course, is that the alternative is even worse, right? I, I'll take yeah. social attack over an inevitable gulag every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And as you pointed have pointed out, think of all the people in the past who have made sacrifices so much greater than that. Yeah. So that we have the, you know incomplete and partial freedoms that we enjoy today so yeah you know i i mean so here's the thing willpower is the opposite of selfishness yes and if you don't mind me again being kind of frank you've kind of lived a hedonistic life right mm -hmm. yeah and there's something kind of selfish in that because it's the avoidance of discomfort so why do you need willpower you need willpower to do what you don't want to do right you need willpower to do what you damn well don't want to do. And so selfishness is when you just act for your own pleasure, regardless of the negative effects, either your actions or more fundamentally your avoided actions or your inactions, the effect that has on the rest of the world. Right? So, yeah, listen, there are certainly times where I've said this, this thing is not worth it, right? This, this beast is not worth it, right? And you get deplatformed and attacked and death threats and you're like, okay, this is like... You know, but then it's like, my alternative is what? My alternative is yes. what? Right? I mean, yeah. w you know, I mean, what am I going to go? Go get a job now? <laughs> you know, like the good thing with extreme attacks is that they <laughs> give you no escape route and you have to turn and fight. Right? Because, I mean, my path back to being a, a an executive or an entrepreneur or, or a software guy, I mean, that's right. So, you know, okay, well, I understand, right? The, the hysteria of the attacks means, okay, uh, I've got no else, no place else to go. If they'd attacked less hard, it would have actually been kind of easier to leave. It's kind of ironic how this kind of dance goes. I just sort of wanted to point that out. But um, so you have to do things that you don't want to do. And there's topics I brought up in this show. I really didn't want to, but I know how important they are. And after you look around and say, okay, who's going to pick up this topic? And it's like, well, not pretty much, pretty much no one. Or at least if they do, they're going to, I don't know, like the Sam Harris, Charles Murray convo about race and IQ, where it's like, well, what's the big issue? Well, the big issue you see is that, you know, blacks might be put into different universities where they do better. It's like, that's like 300 on the list of issues regarding that topic. But now they can say, hey, we've talked about it. Why do you want to keep bringing it up, right? It's a way of neutering the topic rather than explicating it. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's, you need willpower to do what you don't want to do. And that's why willpower is the opposite of selfishness, because selfishness is... I want comfort. 
I want um, pleasure. And people say, well, but it's at the expense of future gains. It's like, well, not for everyone. I mean, the boomers had a pretty great time of it in many ways, right? I mean, they, they got the warfare welfare state, they got debt, they got government programs, they didn't have to fight back against the growth of government. And, you know, most of them are going to get a good chunk of their retirement benefits and health care. So, you know, kind of worked out for that generation in many ways. It's just the rest of us are kind of left holding the short end of the stick. So I, I, think, think, right. I think you've lived a kind of selfish life in some ways, as an adult, right? And I have all the sympathy in the world for what brought you to that, right? But I mean, so I think the harsh, you know, bucket of ice water on the head is it's, it's a long life to be selfish, you know? And the second half of your life, selfishness doesn't work at all because you need a bigger meaning and you, you really get a sense of mortality because selfishness is kind of like you're immortal and you've got forever to fix your problems or turn things around. Like if you, you know, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. You, I mean, geez, I got cancer six years ago. Oops, who knows, right? I mean, didn't smoke. I don't smoke and, and, and uh, I don't drink barely anything uh, alcoholic and I exercise and I eat well and I weigh the same as I did when I was 18. And, but, you know, sometimes you just get those, those bad rolls, right? Uh, what did they I say to that guy uh, in, um, oh gosh, Generation Kill, I think it is. There's the guy named The Godfather. And he, 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 he talks like this because he had throat cancer. And somebody says, you got throat cancer. Did you, did you smoke? He's like, nope, just lucky, I guess. Or nope, just lucky, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, if you, 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 you can't sustain the selfishness um, because the, the, the emptiness uh, grows, right? The meaninglessness of it starts to grow. Right. Yeah. So it's not only that I have to do things that I don't want to do, but they have to be virtuous things, too. They have to be what? Virtuous things. They have to be good things. I would say, yeah. Because just doing things that I don't want to do, it just sounds like these obligations. Uh, you know, I mean, that's how I felt in, in, in medical school, passing these other people's tests. It was like, yeah, these, these, I don't think this is the best thing to do with my life. But there are obligations, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you so, have a, a good mind and you enjoy freedoms and you have good knowledge, there are obligations. They're not moral obligations like people can use self-defense against you if you don't start your podcast or anything like that. They're, they're, I'm not talking about there are aesthetic or aesthetic, I would call them aesthetically preferable action obligations out of uh, universally preferable behavior. It's a free book at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. But you, you do have an obligation because... Simply being alive means that people sacrifice to some degree to, to have you and to raise you, right? That's just the reality of life. And enjoying a certain amount of freedom and, and security and so on is because people fought for property rights. And I know you're not in, you know, first world country, so to speak, but, you know, limited government still has spread around the world a little bit. You got the internet, you got some freedom of speech and all that. So you can consume yes. all of the moral treasures built up by your ancestors and contribute nothing to them. Yes, but I think we have our civilization not as an ownership, but in trust, right? So you know what in trust means that some kid inherits a million dollars, he can't spend it, he can't control it. So it's put in trust. And someone is supposed to work to maximize that they can't spend it themselves. And our civilization is given to us, not as something we own, but in trust, right? We inherit it from our ancestors and we're supposed to provide it to our children if we have children. And so I think that there is a very strong obligation to work to maintain and expand the freedoms that we've inherited. And again, it's not like you throw in jail if you don't, 
but it's kind of jerky not to, if that makes sense. I agree. All right. And I think if you have the capability to do something and you don't, you live with the hollowness and the sense of um, waste and even guilt. So this is my problem with your girlfriend. That's why I asked mm -hmm. if she's been nagging you to do something with your life. And you're like, you kind of fucked me on that one, to be to be frank again, right? Yeah, I don't I think she did. Well, I'm pretty sure she did. You'd remember that conversation like it was branded on your forehead and you're staring in the mirror. So why is she so comfortable with your inertia, right? You've been dating her for four years. You've been inert for three. Why hasn't she said, will you shut the hell up about talking about making a podcast and just go make a damn podcast? <laughs> like, come on, right? Like, where's her urgency? Where's her helping you? Because I'm concerned that she's kind of like your parents just enabling this drifting. Mm. And if she can't give your kids, there may be very good selfish reasons on her part why she's not trying to rouse you into motion. Because one of the motions that you may be roused into is finding some younger eggs on the planet, right? Right. So I'm concerned whenever somebody's been... Like, whenever someone's inert, just, you know, this is a trick for those who want to know how the hell these conversations work. I don't view anyone as acting in isolation. I mean, unless they're literally on a desert island, in which case they ain't called again, right? You're not acting in isolation. You have an entire, like, you, you have siblings. You, you had parents for, you know, died, died a decade ago. You got a girlfriend. You got friends. Like, everyone around you is part of your paralysis. And so when you talk to me about all of your relationships... And you've been treading water for three years. When you talk to me about your relationships, I view all those relationships very clearly, very clearly and specifically as part of the problem. Which is why you're calling me. Because your friends aren't helping you and your girlfriend is not helping you. And your siblings aren't helping you. Because everyone who calls me and says, well, I have a good relationship with this person, I have a good relationship with that person, it's like, no, you don't, usually, because if you did, you'd be having this conversation with that person. You're calling me because you're not getting what you need. And that's a great concern for me, because if your girlfriend has allowed you to drift for three years, you know what she's going to do? She's going to encourage you to drift for 30 more. Because she gains a benefit, I'm pretty clear what it is, as I mentioned, but she gains a benefit from you drifting, from you not recognizing the passage of time, from you not panicking, from you not freaking out, from you not willing things and changing things and taking some fucking reins in your own life. She's invested in you doing that hand solo frozen in carbon thing for another couple of decades. Right. So that's not good. It's barren in more than one way, right? Right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And she does, you know, talk to me and does sort of give me a proverbial slap on the ass to get up and, and do things and try to encourage me. But at the same point, everything that you've said, I, I think is true. No, but she's still choosing to date you and sleep with you and be with you. So, you know. Yes. I mean, True. I couldn't. I, I mean, not not only am I not gay, but, you know, if there was some woman who was, like, just treading water, spending a grand a month and dropping their days like sand through an hourglass into a desert of inconsequentiality, I'd be like, mm, no, no, no. <laughs> Either I'm going to get you in motion or you're going to slow me down to nothing. 
I can't be around yeah. people who've got slow motion sickness. I just get nauseous. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear I do hear you. And that's I'm going to have to reflect on that. one. And I think you're you hit that again on the head. That's true. So time passes. And what is it that you want to say to the younger men, the younger women who are going to listen to this? What's the speech that you wish you'd heard 20 years ago or more? Uh, first, I would say to, to pay attention to your own um, you know, feelings and misgivings if you have them in relationships. You know, uh, if I would have paid attention, I think, more to the relationships I had, you know, years ago, many of them, I, I just would have been like, this isn't what I want. This isn't, I, I can't marry this person. I don't, wouldn't want to start a home with this person. And I should have paid attention and looked for somebody that I would have got along well with. Cause I kind of knew what I liked. Um, so I think that, that would be the main thing. Really pay attention and don't discard that little, you know, voice in your head that says, Ooh, I didn't like that. Or, hey, I really like that. You don't really have any emotional content in your speech. I'm kind of curious about that. Mm. It's kind Mm. of peppy. Because you were talking about some pretty significant life disasters here, right? That could... Right? I'm just... just, Because I can't connect with any emotions. I feel like I'm feeling the passions in this conversation that it's about your life and I'm feeling stronger about it than you are. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is like, you sort of draw out a calendar of like, you know, how many days you can possibly live and like, think of how much time you have to be able to, you know, meet somebody and when you can have, you know, kids in a reasonable you know fashion and all these sorts of things. Like look at, look at the actual, you know, Days, because they really do exist. It's not this hypothetical construct. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of sense, I sense the sort of... Um, do you, do you feel strongly, but you're not communicating it, or do you not feel that strongly about what we're talking about? Oh, no, I, pre- I feel pretty strong about what we're communicating about. And what, what's your emotion, or emotions? <sighs> Sadness. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, I really am like kind of stuck, like, you know, um, I wish I could go back in time, but I can't. Um, uh, frustration, you know, sort of like, well, okay, you know, uh, I mean, uh, for, try to look at the positive side, at least, you know, I, I do have, you know, good health and there are other things that I can do, you know, either have kids in a less than ideal way or, um, you know, choose not to have kids and contribute you know, to the world in other ways. Um, but that is sort of all couched in a sense of sort of sadness. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I wish I could go back and like do things better. And where does the feeling manifest in your body? Um, in my stomach and in my shoulders. And what does it feel like? Like a punch in the stomach. What is the worst case scenario for you going forward, Steve? The worst case scenario would be to um, to never have kids, to never make the podcast, to never um, adopt kids, to never uh, publish um, a book or in other ways like instruct 
you know, a new generation. You know, the, the, what's so attractive about having kids is teaching a whole new soul uh, uh, about the world and about the way things can be. So I think the, the, the worst case situation would be like for none of that, for me to do none of that. And what's that going to do to you? If that comes to pass or nothing comes to pass. And 30 would, years from now, you're almost out of money. You're still spending $1,000 a month. I, I mean, I would already be out of money. I mean, I, I think I would, uh, and I, I know people like this. And I look at them as like, you know, those floating buoys in the sea. It's like warning, warning. Um, I, I think I, I would probably, I might commit suicide. Right. And do you know why your girlfriend doesn't stoke your ambition? Well, I think you hit something and say that if she stokes it, I will leave her and try to find a, a, a more fertile woman. And I don't know if I would, but that is certainly one of the scenarios. Could you, let's say that you found a woman. Now, you've been unemployed for three years, dwindling savings, no good resume. The only industry you have experience in is an industry you don't want to work in anymore. And what's that woman going to say if she wants to have kids and she looks at you? Hmm. Warning, Bill Robinson, right? Well, what's she going to say? She's going to say, how is this guy going to pay for the kids? Like, how, is the, how are we going to, like, where are we going to live? Like, where's the security? So you understand why your girlfriend is not confronting you on this, right? Because she's keeping you fundamentally unattractive to fertile women. I'm not saying it's conscious, but that's the effect. You are being managed. You are being domesticated. You are being hobbled, castrated in terms of sexual market value. If she does, she does it unconsciously because consciously she's, you know, encourages me to get out there and fight and build something. If a woman's still sleeping with you, yeah, I don't care true. what she says. <laughs> you know, she can say, but I hate you. Take me right. Come on. That's that's a fair point. That's yeah. a good point. Because that's the ultimate reward, biologically speaking and evolutionarily speaking. So, yep, you're I, you're I'm wherever the wherever the I vagina think. points there, doth the heart and the soul go also. Yep, you're, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to argue that point because you are right. Right. So, there's a reason why you're still domesticated. It's because you're being domesticated. Because if your girlfriend... That's a little passive. Like, that takes my agency out of it. Well, yeah, I, I get that. That's why I'm nagging you about agency. And that's why I'm pointing this out, so that you're reacting <laughs> okay. to it, right? Yeah, I it. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right, yeah. But it's, yeah, this, it. this, like, this rushing to defend everyone else in your life is paralyzing you too, right? Yes. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Okay, so tell me what you want your life to look like, like this time next year or this time the year after. What, what would be satisfying? What would you be like, whoof, dodged a bullet. This is great. I would like um, to have a solid income from either a, uh, a job that I start or a company that I start. Um, I would like to have a relationship where I feel I see a future that I 
want and I'm like this is this is what I sign on to not this sort of uncomfortable feeling of thinking about you know maybe I will just decide not to have kids or maybe we'll adopt or maybe this or that like whatever the decision be that I'm behind it um and that that I feel like I'm prospering and growing and that when I reach you know hopefully reach 80 years uh, old that I will have the fruits of the things that I build in the next years, whether it be kids or publications or company. Yeah, I, kind of, I hear you, but I, you'll hear this when you listen to this back, uh-huh. Steve, but it's kind of odd. It's, like, you know, FM announcer odd. voice. I would really like to have this in my future. Uh-huh. Like there's no, I don't believe it in terms of like, where are you in this conversation? I feel like I'm getting this ticker tape. Well, sometimes, sometimes I ask myself, am I tricking myself saying that I really want to have kids this much? Like, am, am I lying to myself? Do I really not? Is this like a, a is this a, a lie? Like, I'm, I really don't think that having kids is, is like the greatest thing in a family. No, 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 no I'm just talking about the, the kids just, there the, the doesn't seem to be much connection to, I don't know, something's missing for me here. And I'm just telling you, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. I'm just telling you from my standpoint, having had, I don't even know how many of these conversations, probably well north of 1,500, something's not connecting in you about your life. You know, I agree with you. I, I feel it too. It's like, uh, you were in sales, right? In the pharmaceutical? For a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm getting. It's this polished sales pitch. Your, you know, life is I, kind of, your life is kind of a ruin, isn't it, at the moment? I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just telling you, looking in from the outside, you're a, a very smart guy who's been I, unemployed I, for three years, is not doing anything with his life, is living on a pittance, yeah. is facing yeah, having no family, no kids, no girlfriend, has no plans, no future. Like, I want to start a company. What does that mean, right? I want to be a hair model. <laughs> what does any of this mean? If you're not actually drawing up business plans, if you don't actually have the content of what it is you want to sell, if you're not talking to investors, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a, 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 a wreck and, and in a very, very dangerous position. Right. See, this is what I wanted to say earlier. If your current course is going to lead you to suicide, I can't say that your girlfriend loves you if she's doing anything to enable it. Yeah. Right. She's loading the gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. So that really hit me. Um, Because I often think like if I were her, I would break up with me. Right. Right. Because of that reason that you just said. Yeah. Because it's, it's the road to suicide. Okay, so if you're on the road to suicide, why is there no emotional connection to the conversation? Just because, you know, was... I mean, if there's a gun in the room, so to speak, right? Because I'm all bottled up. It's like... Okay, it's but like... what do you mean bottled up? Why? This is your fucking life, man. Stop fucking it up. Stop throwing it away. What's the matter with you? You're brilliant. You're verbal. You're skilled. It's a 
gift that you've been given. We are collected into these vertical pillars or verbal stardust. This may be the only consciousness in the universe that we know of. You, I, and a couple other billion people on this planet. We may be the only purpose of the entire universe or the only place where purpose exists. That we have coalesced from the fecal matter of exploded stars into vertical bipeds that can reason, speak, think, and philosophize. And you have this incredible gift from the universe. A couple of pounds of wet wear between your ears is an incredible gift from the universe. You, you think an asteroid, if it was conscious, would look at you and say, holy shit, I just get to float around in this stupid exploded Saturn ring between Mars and Jupiter. You think you've got it tough. I'm just rotating in a void. You get to do something. You get to break out of physics. You get to break out of determinism. You get to will something in your life, which compared to everything else in the universe is a miracle beyond language because it's the foundation of language. You have this incredible gift. And not just that you're conscious, but you're smart and you've got some money and you've got access to technology. You are in recipient of the greatest gifts the universe has to offer even throughout human history. This is the greatest time to be alive that there has ever been because the fight is on and we need everyone in the trenches. We need everyone who can speak to speak and speak fucking loudly. The fight is on and it remains verbal, it remains intellectual, it remains agile, it remains philosophical. It is not yet descended to lead through air, bone, and brain. You have such a staggering gift that you have been given. And you're throwing it all away. And as you say, this will lead you to an early grave. It may not be suicide directly. It may just be you get careless. You take up a dangerous hobby. You drink too much. You whatever. It could be anything with which you wet finger out the brilliant candle of your existence. Yep, I, I see it, Steph. I sometimes think that I'm trying to, trying to um, um, threaten somebody with my self-destructive behavior so that they will hear me yeah. do something. Fuck, kill yourself. What's the difference? Well, I don't think you understood what I said. I was, oh, I mean, no, no. I understood what you said. What I'm saying is that you think that the suicide is in the future? You live yeah. alone in a room. You don't produce anything. You don't create anything. You don't engage with the world. Yeah, you're right. It'll take four weeks before your body's even discovered. Who will know that you're gone? What's the fucking difference? You're already yeah. half dead. And we need you. We need you. Suit the fuck up. We need you. The world needs you. The future needs you. Virtue needs you. Freedom needs you. Now, this may sound crazy, but I, I feel like I hear you and I agree. And I feel like I couldn't agree more. And it, I feel like my girlfriend has made terrible choices in the past. And Like what? And... 
sort of Wait, if like I, what? Well, like getting to this point and not having kids. Oh, okay. All right. She wasn't like part of a gang or anything. Okay, got it. No, yeah. no, no, no. No, just, just, just getting to this. No, no, no. But just getting to this point, getting, just not having kids, not get having kids. And so, if I break up with her, I mean, I don't know what the truth, the, what the, what the whole thing. I just sort of feel like she will like uh, die a lonely death. I mean, that sounds crazy to say this, but that, like, the very sort of lonely life that I envision for myself, taking myself to suicide, I envision. Sort of for her, if I break up with her. Okay, let's say that's true. Is, is two better than one? Two is not better than one. Two is not better than one. And if you have three kids, the world's still up two people. And you're not fundamentally responsible. I know. For the choices she made in her 20s and her 30s. And her 40s, I suppose. But certainly 20s and 30s. I mean, it's not your responsibility. And you can't be with someone because they have a ghost gun to their temple, right? I hear you. Because if she destroys your potential as well, it ain't going to make her happier unless she's a complete sadist, which I can't imagine she is. No, she's not. Right. And if you want, you can stay friends with her and bring your kids over for a visit. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Don't think she'd have that. Yeah, maybe your wife wouldn't either, but it's a nice thought in the universe where that might happen. But no, Seriously. listen, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Seriously. I know what you mean as far as, as far as feeling like if Abandoned. it's not going to be you. But here's the thing. It's, it's like you, you can't sustain things with her anyway because you want to have kids. Now, if you give up having kids to be with her, you're just going to resent her. It's going to break the relation. Like you don't have a, you can't possibly, because you've got the solution because you don't change physically that you won't change emotionally. But if you give up having kids and a family and a future because of her, you know how much you're going to hate her? Come on. And yourself too. Yeah. And you're going to be surrounded one afternoon by the ghosts yeah, of three kids who never came to be saying, no, Daddy, why did you do it? We would have to adopt. We would have to adopt or, or try surrogate. <clears throat> okay. Well, if you gave up having your own children for her. And look, maybe you can adopt. Maybe you can do the surrogacy thing. I'm just, I'm just saying as far as efficiency goes. Yeah. And, just weird. and two, two people, like you know that also, listen, you have to choose your, your, the mother of your children based upon personality traits because all personality traits have a genetic component. I so know. if you've got two procrastinators having kids, ooh, that may not be the most fair things for the children <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> sure enough. And if you guys haven't, you know, this comes back to, I want to start a business, I want to start a podcast. If you guys haven't got that process in place already, if you're not making that happen, you've been going out for four years. By the time my wife and I had known each other four years, we were over three years married and trying to have kids. Nothing's happened, right? You haven't filled out any paperwork. I bet you haven't even really looked into it. It's just, a, yeah, well, maybe we could. Maybe we could. That's bullshit. That's not how things get done in this world. So that's, it's not going to happen with you guys because it hasn't happened, in my humble opinion.
And you can say, well, now I'm going to start willing things. But the problem is your entire relationship is founded upon paralysis. So if you start yes. willing things, she's going to fight you, consciously or unconsciously. It doesn't really matter. Unconscious is even worse. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Oh, we'll get to it. But let's, you know, you know, she'll get upset. She'll get anxiety. She'll, she'll push back against it. And because you're trying to bootstrap yourself up from half a century of fairly decadent selfishness or 30 years, let's be generous, right? Then if you face a lot of resistance, it's going to make it virtually impossible. You can't learn how to swim in a riptide, you understand? You need people around you who are not already invested in you not getting ahead and not getting things done, if you want to get things done in your life. Which is why when you change who you are, very few people come along for the ride because everyone is invested in who you were, not who you could be. And they're invested in keeping you there where you were. Now, as far as the age gap goes... <laughs> I'm so sorry, I don't mean to laugh, I'm not laughing at you. But you've been in stasis for so long, I'm not sure that your excessive maturity is going to be a huge barrier to someone younger than you. Well, when I think of, I'm, I'm, I don't think I understood what you meant. Well, I mean that you've kind of lived this life without responsibility. So you kind of haven't grown up. So the idea that you're too mature for somebody who's in their 30s uh, I'm not sure that's entirely true. <laughs> you might have more in common than you think. Oh, no. The, what I meant by barriers, I was sort of thinking of just being a different generation and um, physical, you know, one, men died 10 years earlier than women practically in any, anyway. So, well, no, if you like, keep a healthy weight and you take care of yourself, you've got pretty good odds, right? Yeah. Also, yeah. if you no, don't I, have a dangerous occupation, right? In other words, well, you understand right now you're in a highly dangerous occupation. Yeah, right. The most dangerous, yeah. So, I mean, if I were in your shoes, I would certainly make a plan of what it is that I wanted to do with my life. And then I'd make a list of everything that was in my way, including myself, maybe even my girlfriend, sit down, talk with my girlfriend and say... Listen, it's okay to be mad at people who've enabled your worst habits. It doesn't mean that they're 100% responsible and you're not responsible. It's okay to sit her down and say, what are you doing? Why, why, why haven't you kicked my ass more? And say, well, it's your life. It's your responsibility. It's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't be in a relationship with someone and say, it's 100% you. Relationships are by definition 50-50. You have the right to, uh, to, to get mad at people in your life who have enabled your bad habits. And it doesn't mean that you're not responsible for your... You understand, right? But taking 100% ownership, saying, well, she had nothing to do with it, it's bullshit. She has at least half to do with it. And she, in, in a sense, has more because she's outside and can see. You're inside and therefore it's hard to see, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how tall is, is... How tall is the lighthouse? Well, if you're inside the lighthouse, it's kind of tough to tell. If you're outside, you can measure it. Well, so what's keeping... It's easier for me to see about you and it's easier for you to see about me than it is for me to see about myself or you to see about yourself. So other people in your life have more of a responsibility for things that you can't see yourself because they can see. Right? You've got an itch on your back. You turn around. You say to someone, can you see anything back there? If there's some horrible Australian venom spider back there and say, no, I don't see anything. And then you get bit and pass out. 
Who's responsible? Hey, man, it was your back. It was your shirt, right? It's like, but I can't see back there. That's why I asked you to see. And you didn't tell me the truth now, did you? So it's fine to get mad at other people who haven't told you what you need to hear to get the hell on with your life. And that will help her too. And you just need, I think you need to have a frank conversation about how has it come to pass that I've been stagnant for three years? Because you're supposed to watch my back too. And she'll probably, she'll probably put all the responsibility on you. Hey, you know, I didn't want to interfere. And blah, 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 blah. It's like, come on. Come on. You know, if I was about to drink rat poison thinking it was a Diet Coke, you'd say something. Oh, I don't want to interfere with your drink. You know? <laughs> come on. No, you're right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of context but with her and with my siblings and just with other people. Yeah, everyone is complicit in where yeah. you are. And you need, yeah, to start, I, you need to start relying on a group of people who's going to kick your ass and, and elevate you. That's what we, we all need that. I mean, I have that group of people. You, you need that group of people. We, we, we all need that. Yeah, I see that. Because entropy and stagnation and decay is the natural state of things. And anyone who ain't helping you up is holding you down. Yeah, I and that's see why that. when you were saying, well, we have these great conversations, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. It's not the conversation, it's the action. Yeah, whatever ain't getting you moving, right? I mean, if, if you are facing self-destruction, virtual or real, out of your current path, anyone who ain't helping you turn the wheel, that's not love, man. That's not love. That's need. Yeah. So that's most of what I wanted to say. I'm just going to ask for one other thing. Sure. Don't kill yourself. I won't. Okay? If, if, you, if you get the thought, call the suicide hotline. You can call me if you want. If you need money for therapy, I'll send you money for therapy. But I just would really like you to promise me. I mean, I don't think you will because what we were talking uh, about was kind of vague and down the road. But just for my own peace of mind, will you make me no. that promise? I make you that promise, and it's it's this slow entropy, stagnation, decay, killing myself. That yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Will you out, think out about of. joining me on the ramparts? Because we need some good fucking archers, man. I've got great aim. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Will you let me know how it goes? I will. Thank you so much, Steph. I, thank you. I, Keep me posted. I really, really want to know how this goes, and thank you so much for your honesty in this call. And thank you so much for your work. I appreciate it. Take care. You too.